Welcome to the Hay Kings podcast brought to you by Vermeer, your expert in hay and forage equipment. Today we're joined again by Andrew Leimgruber. Andrew's family has gone through the hardest of hard things in agriculture, transition planning and estate planning. Andrew, where do we start on transition planning? My dad is extremely progressive on, uh, you know, the whole um, legacy thing. And we're big, we're big in the Farm Bureau. We're both county board of directors and he's big in the California Farm Bureau. Oh, cool. So my dad, you know, I worked away from the farm for the, my first years out of college, working for a vegetable dehydration company. My dad, you know, was taught that, you know, kids got to get away from the farm before they come back for a little while. And then also, you know, we've done a lot of estate planning and legacy planning and, um, you know, we kind of, you know, trying to keep the farm going for the fifth generation that I'm now raising. So if you ever need advice on any additional topics, you know, uh, I'm guessing you've heard all the podcast episodes I've released so far. That mm-hmm. That yeah. is one of the themes that I'm trying to capture here is that legacy component. And then how do you keep that going? It's a tough, that's a tough subject. And it really, having a dad that that's, you know, I mean, my dad's goals from his on, from the get go were to, to build a big enough ranch for, you know, I have two siblings. So for the three kids, and um, we've already split the land into individual LLCs, uh, land holding companies that the farm rents. Um, and so that's a good way to separate the land. And it kind of gives a little bit of protection from what we found with neighboring farms that the siblings and children can get along great. But then you start introducing in-laws, you know, with new spouses and, you know, what do the kids think? And, and um Back to my grandfather, he he always made it, you know, that children and parents could go into business together, but never siblings. That you had to split it there because otherwise it was going to be divided later. And and the importance of doing things like that, and um, and then we, you know, we kind of had a big scare uh, during the Obama presidency when they were talking about moving the estate tax exemption from five and a half down to one. And right. a half. Right. So literally that year we were in a lawyer, a state lawyer's office signing papers, literally like on New Year's Eve, um, <laughs> you know, just transferring things. And but you got to be real careful doing that because you want the step down basis. You don't want all the property to get reevaluated so that you have new higher property tax and you don't. And it's going to vary from state to state. But it's amazing that. If there's no communication and you're not up front, I mean, it just then and then lawyers end up owning the farm and and uh, the government ends up taking their big chunk. And so many of of these farms are they're not cash rich. They may have a lot of assets. But so when you start getting these inheritance taxes that come and take a big cut or a swipe out, then all of a sudden you have to sell farm ground to pay the taxes. And then when you sell the farm ground, now maybe the size of the farm is not sustainable anymore, um, you know, because and, and then, you know, just general things on if farming's your primary business, that if you're not growing, if you're not, you know, you know, some people are against it. But I believe if you don't have some kind of a debt load or an operating line, if you're not continuing to expand and grow, then you're dying. So, um, 
you know, you there's no such thing as stagnant. You're either growing or you're receding. There's no there's no status quo. Um, so if you're not continuing to expand, then you're slowly dying. Now, there's a couple of really key thought processes that you get that you just went through there. You're talking about maintaining the farming operation through the generations. Right. And one of the ways that you're doing that is being active in your legal structures and your operating structures and active in the conversations around that transition planning. Absolutely. Yeah, there's only two things guaranteed in life, and that's death and taxes. So why wouldn't you plan? I mean, if you don't want your farm to continue, then don't plan. But if you want something to be established, and and then there's the whole, you know, you have passive members and you have active members, and that's a whole nother, you know, you have children that are involved in the farm and working, and then you have those that just aren't. And you you have to, you know, you can't, not everyone can be, it can't be equal because life's not fair. Equal seems fair, but equal is not equal in reality. So if you have one kid that goes off to be a doctor and one kid that's operating the farm, you can't give an equal distribution because that'll kill the farm. The The farm has to maintain the cash flow. And the so while, you know, a parent, uh, a farm owner has to make those difficult decisions. Um, and there's different ways to structure it. You know, you can have payment schedules or, um, you know, rent, rent to own or, you know, different things um, to try to make that fair. But, um, you know, it, if you don't, if, if it's not discussed while the previous generation who's operating it is, uh, is still alive, you know, then it's going to be a, a big issue. Um, but, you know, it's, it takes a lot of, you know, faith and understanding too, from the, the previous generation, they have to have faith in the next generation. You know, when my, my dad set up those LLCs with the land, I mean, essentially he's giving while he's still working and alive, he's, he's passing off ownership to his children. Um, while he's still, you know, relying on that farm to generate income for himself. But you know, you have to, you know, there's ways to set up the LLCs where you could still be the manager and have controlling rights and you still control where the assets and the income goes. But, um, you know, that's, you know, I, I feel very fortunate that my dad is so, so forward thinking on stuff like that, you know, and I know a lot of, a lot of other farmers, you know, they don't even, you know, their, their family can be, you know, well in years and and they haven't even discussed it and um that's not a strategy at all that is tremendous advice and there's resources out there i mean the your your farm bureaus um especially you know for for people in some of the smaller agricultural states go lean on some of the big states you know go reach out to the resources of the californias and the texas and florida and these big states with huge Farm Bureau, ag, you know, mm-hmm. ag programs, and they they have seminars, they have courses, um, you know, about estate planning, about you know how to pass the farm along, and it's going to look different for every farm based on different sizes and different, you know, 
I mean, we've we've seen our farm ground because of a lot of it is water speculation and metropolitan and all these people come up and buying land. I mean, my dad was buying farm ground 10 years ago for 3,000 an acre. Now I just bought a couple of fields and it's upwards of 14, 15,000 an acre. And when <laughs> the ground is that expensive, when you go to pass it on, you, you have so much in liabilities and assets. There's no way to, you know, to a, to a, a non-business owner, to just the general public, it looks like, well, you don't have money problems. You're, you're worth millions. No, 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 no. I've got millions in debt. This is my cash flow. These are my margins. This, I have to own this ground or lease this ground in order to generate this amount of cash flow. If I don't own the assets, I can't make the cash flow. Um, so, and the problem is, well, you know, you can't just sell the assets because then your cash flow diminishes. Now your workforce and your equipment and all those things are, are less efficient and less, you know, you don't, maybe you can't justify that bell wagon or that, you know, GPS auto steer, 21 foot head, header swather. I mean, you know, you have to maintain, like you were discussing earlier, a certain amount of acreage to justify these equipment upgrades. And, um, you know, it's 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 tough. And in our area, there's a lot of farmers that just lease, that rent. Mm-hmm. And I know that's common everywhere. And it's, and it's much, you know, the cost per acre to rent in our area is three to five hundred per acre. The cost to purchase and own is eight to a thousand, eight hundred to a thousand per acre. So you're talking on an annual basis. On an annual basis, correct. Right. So if you you we almost have to lease ground to offset our our ground that we're trying to purchase because otherwise our margins would be so out of bounds that you know we would we would be non-sustainable. But they're the benefits of purchasing that ground is that's a legacy thing. You know, I'm going to spend the next 25 to 30 years paying that ground off. But then hopefully it's all in the betterment of the next generation. You know, my dad's doing a little bit better than his dad did. And hopefully I'll do a little better than my dad did and so on, you know, and we can increase and grow the farm. And, you know, if you look at the rate of returns on purchasing farm ground, it's not good. Any any investor would tell you you're crazy. I mean, I think it's in some, it's like one to 2% returns. Um, but in the long, you know, and that's an annual basis. I mean, so you could take that money and invest it in the stock market and have way better returns, but you're also purchasing land for your business that will continue to be there. And it's your retirement plan. Um, you know, if I can work for 25 years, pay the ground off, and then it's an owned asset, if my kids choose to farm, they can rent it from me, or I can rent it to someone else if they choose to go on and do other things. And the rental income off of that owned ground, was that's your retirement plan. So, um, but yeah, we could we could go on for days talking about the legacy issue, and maybe we'll have to do another call on that. So Let's take a break there, and we'll get a word from our sponsor. I'm Danny Wan, and and I switched to the Vermeer 604R because I believe this baler is built to last. 
I bail about 4,000 bales a year. And I think as much money you give for a baler, if they need to bail 4,000 bales a year, even if it's for 10 years, they, they need to get it done. The day I ran it, we absolutely had no issues at all. It fired up and I bailed like some guy. <laughs> it just bailed all day long. Hear the full story at makinghay.com slash haykings. The conversation I just had with a cattle guy out, out of Canada, he's uh, he's 40-ish, I think. Uh, he's he's a little older than I am. I'm, I just turned 30. And he's talking about these same legacy things. But he works off-farm, or rather, I'm guessing he works from home, but his off-farm income is a pork company. Ham's Marketing is what it is. So he works for a marketing cooperative of pork producers. So all these independent pork producers call him up and he makes the trades for him, right? And he's a cattle producer and a hay guy and, and all that kind of stuff, right? We got to talking about how that those risk management strategies allow producers to keep that legacy going. And I think so many, so many producers want to do it the way Dad and Grandpa did it. They just want to drive tractor and they want to fix things and they want to build things and they don't take the time to do the risk management. They don't take the time to do the estate planning. They just don't, they don't do those things that you have to do to transfer those assets and to keep that legacy going. So what I would ask you is what would your advice be to the 25 or 30-year-old son? What, what would your advice be to that 25 or 30-year-old son to keep that farm going? And, and how do you find time to do those things? Well, uh, you have to make time. Um, you know, we all have family dinners sitting around the table, and, and you just have to start the conversation and uh, just tell them, you know, dad and mom, I, I, uh, I, I enjoy farming. I, I see myself doing this, um, you know, for my, for the, you know, just as my means of income for my family. And I have to know that there's some kind of, uh, uh, stability and, um, you know, my dad pushed me when I was in college to go off and get another job, uh, away from the farm. And I, I encourage other farm kids to do that too, uh, at least two to five years away from the farm so that you don't get in the mindset of, well, this is the way my dad did it and his dad before him. You can see the out of the box. I worked for a corporate farming business. And so I learned about cash conversion cycles and I learned about uh, the importance of budgeting and, and, you know, maybe it's step taking a step back and saying, well, yeah, my grandfather and my dad have always grown wheat. Well, maybe we're not making money in wheat. Maybe we need to switch over and grow something different, you know, get into a specialty hay crop or anything and, 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 you know, reevaluate, you know, and, and not maintain the status quo, knowing that change is not, is not a bad thing. And change can be good for growth. So, um, and also for, you know, I'm 32 now, I've been back farming with my dad for five years and I farmed with him before I went to college. Um, but you know, also working away from the farm, it establishes your worth, your value. It gives you a personal, um, you know, shows your dad or your 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 farm, you know, whether it's your dad or mom, 
that you have, a, this is my value. This is what I bring to the table. I'm more than just a tractor driver. I'm more than just, a, you know, just wrenching on machines that I want to be an ownership. I want to take responsibility and you can feel that I can take on that responsibility. And, um, and it's almost, a, you know, you, it gives you that, that farm, that future farmer, some leverage. It shows, you know, dad, I want to come back and farm with you, but I have this other path. And, and you almost have to have that discussion before you come back to the farm when you have a little more leverage. And I don't want it to sound like, but you know, it's a relationship and, and, you know, you have to let them know that, um, I have a value and I have to look out for my family, um, as well as your farm and the business and, and what you've established, but I need some guarantees. I need some some promises that there's going to be something here for me um, and that we can have a smooth transition to the next generation. And then that gets back to, you know, if you have siblings, you know, there's passive members of a business and there's active members of a business. And someone who's active and working on the farm, I'm not saying that they deserve more in a, in an inheritance or a step down from the farm, but that farm can't be split. And this is the way they used to do it back in Europe. My family, you know, when my grandfather immigrated to the United States from Switzerland, he wasn't the oldest son. And back in Europe, the oldest son got the business. They got the farm and it sounds cruel and it sounds terrible, but they did it that way because if they split and divided the business too many ways, it wouldn't be sustainable. So they would tell the other daughters and sons, go off, get married, have a family, join the army, immigrate to the United States and start a business for yourself. And that sounds rough and mean to us now in this, this day of equality and fairness. But, you know, you have to, the, the business has to take precedence because you can have all the meaning in the world that I want this farm to be split up to all my children equally. But if it gets divided so poorly that it can't be sustainable, then no one has anything. <laughs> so there are ways, like I said, that that farm can continue to be profitable for the entire family. But that that 20 or 30-year-old young man that wants to come back to the farm, he needs to uh, he needs to have that talk almost before you come back and you start farming. Um, and if you're already back farming, um, you still need to have that talk. You need to sit down and and um, and discuss and and just open lines of communication and say, hey, maybe we should go see an estate lawyer. We should get some legal advice because you can get into trouble when you start passing things on to kids. I mean, you want to, like I said it before about the step down basis. You know, when when um, a son or a daughter inherits from a parent they can get a step-down basis. So that means the property tax remains the same. They don't have to get it reappraised and start paying a, you know, some of these farms that have been owned for four generations, the property tax can be fairly low. Well, now the value of the property has gone up, set, you know, huge amounts. And if you had, you did a transfer prior to death, prior to inheritance, then you have to get a stepped-up basis, um, which can be a huge hit, you know, um, a lot of farming areas have the Williamson Act and different things that help protect you on the property tax side. But that's just one example of 
where I think it's very important to get legal advice. And then also when you have that third party that's giving you advice, it, you know, we, we all don't want to sound greedy. We don't want to sound like we're going to our parents, like, give me, give me, give me. I want it all. But you know, that lawyer can tell you, you know, this, if you don't want a dispute to happen later where lawyers end up with everything, or you don't want the government to end up with everything, you want to be able to continue and pass as much of your business and your legacy to the next generation, then these are the steps you should do. And like for my family farm, we divided the land up between the three siblings. We separated the farm business on one side and the land on another side. It's a land, I mean, the farm owns um, machinery and equipment and shops and hay barns and things such as that. But a lot of the value lies in the land. So we set up the land into separate LLCs, land holding companies for each each one of my siblings and myself. And now the farm rents from those LLCs. The LLCs make the land payments and the property tax payments, and the farm pays rent to those LLCs, and they're able to you know make those payments. Now this is a little bit of a a personal question here. Are those yeah. fair market rental rates, or is that or is that something that you work out? Uh, well, it kind of depends on each LLC. So how how much debt load they have, how much. But there's some finagling there based on what has a higher debt load versus the others. And then you know another benefit you know that me and my siblings have seen those LLCs have made income, and I've taken you know, my assets and my LLC, and I borrowed against them to buy more ground. And uh, my brother, he works for a farming company, doesn't have an interest in coming back. He's a passive partner. Um, And at this time, he doesn't have an interest in coming back to the farm. So he's taking his income from his, and he's going to go and try and buy some um, commercial real estate, you know, and kind of diversify. So, you know, it's kind of the freedom. And, and this is this is while my dad is still in his 50s and he's working and he's actively involved. And and but we're we're taking these assets that are in the farm plan and in the business and we're using them to continue to expand and grow our legacy. You just mentioned a farm plan. Is that a written document? Um, my dad, I mean, my dad has a will. A written right. out will right. um, that you know has his desires, and each LLC has um, bylaws, you know, right. that show who's the manager and what who has control, and um, you know, and there, there's there is a written out plan, but not, I mean, in, in between different legal documents. So, so what you're saying is you have those managerial structures outlined. Right. Uh, when you go to your banker, you, they're going to ask about your your business structures, and you can say, "Here, this is what we have in mind. This is how we're doing it," and it's something written down. Right. Um, the other thought process here is, what you're talking about is expensive. Yeah, um, LLCs typically cost about eight hundred dollars a year, just kind of in. Um, that's having somebody else manage. Having, um, that's having, just that's just for tax per you know yeah. tax prep and so mm-hmm. there is a cost. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So this is probably only for, you know, a certain size operation. Um, and, you know, LLCs were originally designed for, you know, liability uh, control, you know. So kind of the general jargon is for each million dollars of assets, you need one LLC. That's kind of the general rule of thumb. Um, and, you know, when you own, let's say my brother purchases commercial property and God forbid some kid got hurt on that commercial property, you don't want them to come back and sue and rob the farm, right? So it's their ways of, of, of dividing things and separating things and kind of a little bit of separation. The other thing, um, you know, and just um, a, a side benefit of these LLCs, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, we're in a time period where a lot of marriages aren't lasting. Um, you know, and, and a thing like divorce can destroy a business. Um, that gets back to that idea of splitting that asset in half and it's no longer viable. Right. And by putting the farm ground in these LLCs, that's sole inherited property. Um, now if you commingle those funds and those assets, then that's a different story. Um, but there is some, you know, strong belief that, you know, splitting things up in these in different ways kind of gives you a little bit of protection and, and no one wants to, you know, when you marry the love of your life and I'm very happily married and I love my wife, um, no one wants to think about divorce, but you know, uh, I think in California, upwards of 60% of marriages end in divorce. And, uh, what's the old, I think there's a song, you know, if, if marriage was a plane, nobody would get on. <laughs> <laughs> right. That that would be a Brad Paisley song. I know exactly which one That's, you're referencing. Yep, exactly. There it is. Uh, oh, I was. what I want to add to this conversation is uh, living trust structures. And I'm not, I'm by no means a legal expert, and and I can't tout the benefits of one over the other. But what I can do is give somebody the vocabulary to ask the questions. Those living trusts uh, function in a similar uh, asset isolation function to that LLC. So that might be another tool available to a producer looking to transfer assets or, or separate assets uh, and, and maintain that, uh, that heritage. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a farmer. I'm by no means a legal expert. Right. What I'm, um, what I'm trying to do with that introduction there is give somebody the vocabulary to start Googling. If, the, if they say, well, I don't have a million dollars in assets, maybe that LLC doesn't make sense to me, or right. that $800 a year is outside of reality, just something something else. And Yeah, no, absolutely. But to hear from you who's done this, I, I truly hope it inspires somebody. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't want to come off as brash and, um, I definitely, you know, makes me a little nervous talking about all these numbers and things, but, um, you know, there's definitely a lot of farmers in this situation and, and, you know, to some smaller farmers, a million dollars is going to sound like a lot, but when you have generational farms, um, you know, it, it gets to these points very quickly. And I've seen plenty of farms, with a net worth of upwards of 15 million that make no money year after year. And pretty soon they're selling, they're having auctions and they're selling off assets. And, 
um, you know, just, just owning all these things and having all this, um, you know, you still have to manage a farm. You still have to, you know, my dad likes to say, worry about the pennies and the dollars will take care of themselves. Um, you know, it's just continuing to, to manage your farm and, and, um, you know, all the different hats that a farmer wears, you know, we're, we're welders and fabricators, we're mechanics, we're agronomists. Now we're, we have to be politicians and regulatory, you know, advisors with all these new regulations coming down, especially in places like California. We have to be accountants and HR managers. We have to be, you name it. We wear so many different hats on a farming operation. You're never gonna be an expert in everything, but you need to know enough about everything that you don't get taken advantage of. Thank you so much for sharing. Nice to talk with you, John. 